welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. As has been said, my name is Lauren and I'm on the staff team here at Birmingham Vineyard. I'm usually upstairs with the little people of our church, but today I have the privilege of being down here with you guys. So today we're continuing our Insights series where we've been exploring the hidden gems of the Bible, those books you might have never thought to read or just kind of skimmed over. So we've looked at Nahum, Obadiah, Habakkuk and Haggai, and I'd recommend going to catch up on those if you haven't already. And today we're going to focus on the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. So the the Old Testament is not ordered completely chronologically, but Malachi has been slotted in at the end for a reason. Malachi means messenger, and he provides the last message to the Israelites before God's almost 400-year silence before the coming of Jesus. Kind of like realising you missed someone very important off your Christmas card list before the last Christmas post and running to catch the postman before he leaves, Malachi was God's last post to the Israelites before Jesus. So let's pray before we dig in. Come Lord Jesus, would you bring your kingdom this morning? Would you open our hearts and minds to to hear from you? Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, we heard about the prophet Haggai, who was warning the people of God that they had their priorities a bit skewed. They'd half-heartedly rebuilt some of the temple and abandoned it. They were instead focusing on their own stuff. And we see in Malachi that they've listened to this warning and they've rebuilt the temple. They've recommitted themselves to God and a spiritual revival came. And you can read about this in the book of Ezra. But that hope and anticipation of the future, here's a little timeline, that the people found is not present in the Israelites in the time of Malachi. This book is set about 80 years after the temple has been rebuilt, and we see disillusionment and apathy in the people of God. The Israelites were in an uneventful time of waiting, and we see that long term, nothing has really changed. Their hearts remain the same and they need another messenger from God in Malachi. So the book of Malachi is mostly made up of people's questions to God and his patient answers. The people question God's love for them, how they could have possibly deserved what's happening to them, how God could possibly be upset with them, and how they could return to him amongst others. And God, through Malachi, speaks some hard truths and challenges while weaving in reminders of his faithfulness and the hope they can have for the future. So we're going to explore this this morning um, in three parts. So we've got the problem, the reminder, and the promise. So firstly, the problem. The problem is God's people are unfaithful. God's people have broken his covenant, his agreement with them. They agreed to live in a certain way, which was meant to help keep them close to God and strengthen their identity as his people, setting them apart from the people and cultures around them. It was meant to be a mutually beneficial relationship. That's what a covenant is. But their worship has become half-hearted and meaningless. Their sacrifices, meant to be an offering of love for God in return for his mercy and forgiveness, have fallen short. And their giving has become merely a habit rather than an intentional gift to God. 
We read in verses 8 and 10 of the first chapter. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. And then verse 10. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I will accept no offering from your hands. And then we hear in chapter two that the men are divorcing their Jewish wives as an excuse to go and marry other women. Not only this, but they're aligning themselves with the gods of these women, worshipping idols and turning away from not only their wives, but from God as well. The Israelites had begun to assimilate, to kind of mesh together the culture of the people around them into their way of living. They were questioning if the terms of their covenant with God were actually what was best for them, excusing their evil, oppressing the poor, cheating and taking advantage of people. They were bowing to the spiritual attack of the lies that they were surrounding themselves with, making excuses for themselves and not looking to God for help in the process. And it can be easy for us to judge them, but I think this assimilation is something we find ourselves doing today too. There have been many times when I've said what people want to hear to avoid conflict or done things that are culturally expected of me rather than challenging the situation that I'm in. I was part of a sports team at university with a strong drinking culture. In attempts to encourage people to like me and accept me, I often put aside my hesitations and maybe drank more than I should have or went along with things that I knew were not honouring for other people. I'd make excuses for why that was the right thing to do in that moment. I was showing them I could be fun. I didn't want to upset the status quo. I thought it was all harmless, really. And sometimes I would be brave enough to show them something of Jesus, but a lot of the time my heart was in the wrong place, wanting favour with them over favour with God. Nothing I did was culturally wrong, but I knew in my heart that much of it was not right in God's eyes, or his best for those situations. The people in the time of Malachi lost sight of God's heart. Malachi offers the people, and us today, a stark reminder that God sees it all. Nothing's hidden from him. And the truth, however hard to swallow, is that God sees the heart behind our actions too. And he cares about it. So it doesn't need to be a source of guilt and shame. We can take our stuff to God, like I did with my sports night motives, and he already knows, he already understands, and we can find his forgiveness and love. God's heart for his people is, has, and always will be love. In the second verse of Malachi, it says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you, the Israelites, ask, how have you loved us? Even after all this time, after all that God has done for them, the heartbreaking thing is that the Israelites don't really believe that God loves them. And this is why all the, those laws that make up the covenant feel like an obligation to them, seeing how much they can get away with rather than the expression of loving obedience that they're intended to be. Without love as its foundation, the covenant felt like an obligation. I wonder if there's anything in your life that feels like merely an obligation with God. 
or something that you're just seeing how much you can get away with. Perhaps God is inviting you to align with his heart today in those things. Or maybe he's asking you to take a step back and think, do you know how much God loves you at heart level? Have you ever felt the love of Jesus for yourself? Okay, we've looked at the problem that God's people are unfaithful. So now we're going to look at the reminder that God is faithful. Firstly, God is faithful to himself. So that means that God is the same yesterday, today and forever. He will never change in character. So integrity, justice and faithfulness matter just as much to him in the time of Malachi as they always have. Which is not such great news for the Israelites. They can't get any, away with any less than their ancestors. But because God is faithful to himself, we also know that God is faithful to his people. Malachi 3, 6 to 7 says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. God says, I do not change, so you are not destroyed. God says in Jeremiah 31, I've loved you with an everlasting love. 1 John 4, it says that we love because God first loved us. God's love for us never changes. God loves us even when we don't care. God initiates that love and merely invites a response from us. And this is where we find the the beautiful tension between a God who cannot tolerate sin, but he and he knows it must have consequences, yet he loves us more than we will ever know. We see from the questions in the book of Malachi that the Israelites cannot see how this tension can be reconciled, asking God, how have you loved us? But thankfully, we have the gift of living two and a half thousand years later and seeing that Jesus is where God's justice and mercy meets. Jesus took the necessary consequences of sin in our place, redeeming our relationship with God through the grace that he freely gives and we can freely receive. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. The cry of God's heart is for us to return to him. Nothing is too bad or ugly or shameful to stop us from coming to him. Father God longs for intimacy with us and for us to walk in relationship with him. That's what he created us for. Just as Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden before the fall, God's best for us is a close, intimate relationship with him. That's that's what he created us for. And he gave us a way to do that in Jesus, when the barrier between us and God was broken forever, and he gave us the Holy Spirit. Is that close, intimate, loving relationship with God something that you long for? There's an opportunity to come to God today, and any day really, whether that's for the first time or you're returning to him again. God promises that when we take that step in coming to him, he will meet us. And that is a truly wonderful thing. Okay. The problem, how God's people are unfaithful. The reminder, God is faithful. And now we're going to look at the promise. A new world and a new heart. 
The last couple of chapters of the book of Malachi look forward into what we know as the New Testament and beyond. And Malachi, the messenger, gives us a message about another messenger that is just about to come, to prepare for God's coming. And it reads in Malachi chapter 3, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And then in chapter four, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. God is promising better days ahead giving the people of God hope for the future, a second Elijah. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. And you may have heard this part of the passage before because it's actually used by an angel when he comes and speaks to Zechariah about his son in Luke. Who is is Zechariah's son? Anyone remember? John the Baptist, yeah. (laughs) Okay, and so we see this in Luke 1, when this is what the angel says. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this is a tangible confirmation for Zechariah of the promise that he's read in Malachi over 400 years beforehand. The Messiah is coming soon and Zechariah's son would be a messenger in the spirit and power of Elijah. God promises through Malachi that the Lord will not only come, but he will refine, purify and bring the perfect justice that they want and need. We read in chapter four, surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. The day of the Lord will burn like a furnace and all the evildoers will be stubble. So stubble is the bit of, bit of the grain that we can't really use for anything. And if you throw it in a fire, it kind of just burns instantly. But we also hear, so that's the evildoers, but we, it will be like a refining fire with only the good stuff staying in. Like when a, a precious metal is refined and purified. It's the kind of fire that make, makes things better. But for those who respect and honour God, who revere his name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his rays. So that's Jesus coming and bringing healing to us, our world and our relationship with him. And God's people will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Yeah, we've got some calves. Just take a a minute to just look at the calves. When calves have been shut in overnight, they often literally leap for joy at their freedom in the morning. And that's the image that Malachi is going for here. A joyful release from captivity into freedom. The Messiah, who we know to be Jesus, would bring healing, joy and wholeness once more. So this day of the Lord will bring perfect justice and perfect judgment, making the world right again. This was partly fulfilled when Jesus came the first time, the day of the Lord, part one, if you like. 
Jesus came to conquer sin and evil, allowing evil to fully overcome him, only to defeat its only weapon, death. And in doing this, Jesus gave his followers power over sin and death through the forgiveness that he offered. This was much bigger than the Israelites were expecting, I think. They seemed to expect judgment on Rome and that the Messiah would fix their situation, restoring them to what they were before. But instead, Jesus defeated the power of sin and death altogether. Evil still exists in our world, but thankfully Jesus promised to return for the final day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, part two. This is the day of the Lord that the book of Revelation talks about, which Malachi also hints to, where Jesus will return and destroy evil completely, freeing our world from corruption and bringing about the good and perfect world that God had planned for us from the start. In the meantime, we live in the in-between times, the not yet part of the now and not yet phrase that we use a lot around here. We're between part one and part two. But that doesn't mean that God has just left us to it. We read in Jeremiah 31, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. So when Jesus has come, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. We have a new covenant in Jesus, but not one that requires us to follow certain, for certain rules in a book or try things a different way or try harder next time, we know from this book that that doesn't work for humanity. This is one where we get new hearts. We need minds that allow God to put his law in them and hearts that welcome him to write his law on them. One example of this may be memorising scripture. The more we know our Bible, the more we know Jesus and the more we have to fall back on when things get tough or just busy. One of the ways I first learned to hear God was through Bible verses or lines from songs, which are often taken directly from a Bible passage. My family listened to a lot of worship music when I was growing up, so my head is full of lines from those, even though I don't often realise it. Sometimes I will wake up in the morning with a song in my head that really speaks to me and I know God has put there. About a year ago, it was the song, Jesus, I Need You, that was constantly in my head. It was really helpful, reminding me to centre myself on Jesus and rely on him for strength, rather than trying to do it all in my own. This also helped me to remember another Bible verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's Philippians 4.13. These together became written on my heart, and I could call them to mind as I was finding things hard, and they would give me comfort and peace as I chose to trust God with whatever it was that was hard that day. When we welcome Jesus into our hearts, we are new creations through the Holy Spirit at work in us. The new covenant in Jesus means that we can know God personally and intimately, and we can be forgiven of any and all sin because the day of the Lord, part one, is complete. So as we start to conclude, we see that the book of Malachi is littered with the longing of God to have a relationship with us. God is constantly wanting to draw us closer to himself. Malachi ends the Old Testament with God's yearning for a people committed to faithful worship, 
who are certain of his unfailing love. And despite all the questioning, tough love and warnings, Malachi and the Old Testament ends with hope on the horizon. You just have to turn the page. Jesus is coming and he will make a way for us to return to the Father. When I first read Malachi, I found it quite difficult to relate to and I wasn't sure what God could say to me through it. But when I started looking for Jesus, it opened up a whole new way of looking at it. When we see how Jesus fits in and reveals himself in each of these Old Testament books, we see that the big story and the opportunity for relationship and hope for the future that we have. And the big story is just that God is love, and that's what it starts and ends with, and we keep walking away. But Jesus cleared a way back to closeness with him. And, God, and that means that God is active in the world and we can partner with him and he gives us power through the Holy Spirit to join with him. So that one day, on the day of the Lord part two, it will all be the way God meant it to be. So what might God be nudging you about today? Have a think if anything has been highlighted to you this morning. That could have been in worship or during the dedication or when I've been talking, but maybe you could relate to the or maybe you could relate to the idea of an aspect of life with God that is a struggle, that feels like an obligation, or something that you're stretching the bounds of what you feel like you can get away with. What might God be inviting you towards in that? Anything that we ask God to take away, He fills that with His goodness when we ask Him to. Or maybe you're longing for that intimate relationship with God, but you don't know how to get there. Remember, God promises that when we take that step in coming to him, he will meet us, he will return to us. Jesus, thank you that you're with us. I pray that you would continue to to write on our hearts and minds. Would you help us to hear from you this morning? We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.